If you will turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we are going to read verses 4 through 9, and then jump to verse 19. So read this with me. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For, if they, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so now they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, and only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Jump to verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all of the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you would uh, be with us this morning. Get our hearts excited for the truths that you have to show to us, God. And just uh, equip me with all I need to, to just uh, make them known to your people here, God. I, I really believe that there's things that you want to show and teach me and, and everyone in here. And I just ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you, God. Um, and we're excited to, to see what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so... What is going on in our passage today? Well, uh, to sum it all up, they have rejected God, all right? So God has uh, been there for them the whole time. He's been a good and faithful God. And the people of Israel just get to a point where they're like, all right, we're done. We, we want something else. We want a new king. So um, the, the people have rejected God, and uh, this is what they say. Uh, we, we want something else. We want a king so we can be like other nations. Now, the children of Israel are God's special family, his chosen people, his nation. And they're basically saying, we, we don't want that anymore. You know, we don't want to be your people. We don't want to follow you. Instead, we want to be like everyone else. We, we look around and we see they all have kings, all right? So they're, they're saying, God, we don't want you. We want a king. And why do they want a king? They say they want a king to judge them. Okay, someone who um, knows what justice is and can tell them what right from wrong is. And I hope you're starting to see a little bit of irony there. Um, you know, who's more just and a better judge than God? And they're saying, we want someone who will judge us better. Um, and then they say, we want a king who will fight for us, which is also ironic. Uh, they're, they're saying, we want someone who's a rescuer, a savior of us when we're in need. And uh, that's ironic because that's who God is. I mean, he's our great rescuer and he saves us in our time of need. So I think the very first thing uh, that we need to see here is the people's heart problem, all right? They've got a big heart problem, and, and they're basically telling God, you're doing a lousy job at being king, and we want someone else to do it. And, and actually, they go beyond that and say, we could do a better job than you, God. You know, have Samuel get us all lined up and have him pick one of us out to be the king because we think we'll do a better job. You know, isn't, isn't that just downright disrespectful to God? It's like a slap in the face. 
And I was trying to think of a, a good example that would, that would kind of capture it. And the best one I could come up is this. So um, every Sunday I play basketball with a, a group of my friends. All right, we get together and we have a good time. Um, this would be like me and my friends go into game seven of the NBA finals. And it's the fourth quarter and we go down onto the court and, you know, all the players are there and we just say, hey, look, you know, you got us this far. And we appreciate all your efforts and you, you're trying really hard. But, but let's, just, let's just be real honest. Me and my friends need to be playing in the fourth quarter. All right, give us the ball, you know, and let, let, us, let us take the, take the court. You know, we're the best chance of winning this game. So you guys just go hit the showers and we'll take care of it. All right, are things going to go well? No, I'm 5'9 and I have no vertical. All right, we are going to get destroyed, okay? We're going to get whipped. We have no chance. And, and that's the, the same kind of heart these people have. They're, they're coming up to God and, man, he's been so faithful to him. He's been so good to him. He, he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt from one of the most powerful nations of all time. He, he took them through the desert and gave them food, clothing, and water for over 40 years. He took care of them every step of the way. And now they're saying, eh, we want, something. We want someone else. We think we can do a better job if, if we rule over ourselves. They're trying to give uh, God's job away. And... Um, I think whenever we read these passages, a lot, a lot of times we get frustrated at them, right? We're like, what are you guys doing? Like, that, that makes no sense. But when we step back and look at it, isn't that always man's heart? You know, from, from the Garden of Eden, you know, all the way to, you know, Sunday, October 8, 2015, isn't it man's heart to tell God, you know, we, we don't want anything to do with you. We think we can handle things ourselves. That's what we all do. Okay, we, we reject God, we, we push him away from us, and we think, we, we want to take care of stuff. And that's what God tells Samuel in verse 8. He says, according to the deeds that you have done from the day I brought you out of Egypt, even to this day, you've been forsaking me and serving other gods. He's saying, Samuel, this is not anything new. This is what people do to me. They reject me, they push me far away, and, and they have this wrong, broken heart that says they can do it better on their own. And that's man's heart. So um, the, the truth is, not, not one of us in here, any of us, are, are fit to be king. All right? Now, but, but I know us in all of our sinfulness. We've, we'd all like to give it a try, right? You know, we, we want to try to call the shots and, and take God's role and rule and reign over our lives. But we're not fit to be king. And Samuel tells the people what they can expect if they do put a man as king. He says, it's not going to go how you plan it to go. All right? And, and sin never does, okay, just by the way. Sin never works out how it says it's going to work out. It makes you big, grand promises, but it never follows through and it never delivers. So Samuel just, he, he gives him a little snapshot and says, let me tell you what things will be like if you do have a man as king. He says, you're looking for freedom, okay? You're looking for rescue. If you have a king, you will be his slaves, that's what Samuel tells him. He'll take the best of your women, your children, your men. He'll put them to his work. He'll take your nice fields and all of your animals. He tells them that if you want justice, you don't want a, you don't want a king. Because kings aren't just. They abuse their power and they take from you. So he, he's basically going on to tell them that this is not going to fix your problem. Even under the rule of King David, like the greatest king ever, you know, of all of Israel, we still see all these things, this injustice, this abuse of authority. 
And should we really think that we'd do a better job as king of our lives? So that, that's kind of the context. It's just to show you man's wicked heart. Man, we, we all rebel from God. We all push him away and put him off and try to do things for ourselves. So that brings us to our passage today. And it is in 1 Samuel chapter 12. If you'll flip over a couple pages there. Starting in verse 19. And at this point, they, they get their king. All right, they get what they want. They, um, they have him. And Samuel basically tells them, to get your king, you had to reject God. And he spends some time making sure that they understand that they've left God behind. And then the people start to panic because rejecting God has not historically gone well for Israel. Okay, and, and, you, and you know that if you look through scripture. So they start to panic. And these are the words they say to Samuel. And then the words he responds with, starting in verse 19 of chapter 12. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me... Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. All right, so that's our passage today. And it starts off with the people acknowledging their sin. All right, so... Does anyone in here ever have those moments where you're just like, wow, that was a dumb decision and I shouldn't have done that, all right? That's the, that's the kind of moment they have here, this kind of this aha moment where their reason returns to them and they're like, that was stupid, why did we do that, all right? So I, I saw this happen this week at my house. Uh, Rio and I, we were building Legos in his room and I was making like a helicopter and he had been working all day on a tower because that's what five-year-olds build with Legos, towers. So he, he had been working on it, and this thing was, like, it was getting big, and it was like a brick. I mean, those little Legos are small, but when you get, like, a thousand of them together, they're, they're pretty heavy. So he's working on it, and he, he finally decides, I'm going to build something else, okay? But he doesn't want to pull it apart one brick at a time, because that'll take forever. So he's going to, like, smash it apart, you know? He's going to break it and get all the Legos off. And I'm watching him, and before I could, like, you know, stop him or say anything, he, he grabs a snow globe, off of his uh, windowsill and he picks it up and he decides to use that as his hammer, you know, and I'm trying, like, I can't get the words out and he's just like, and glass and glitter and water like fly all over the place. And then like, he just looks at me with this look that says, you know, what these people are saying. That was so stupid. I, Daniel, I get it. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, it, it, this was not a good idea. So he, he looked at me just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's, that's what the people are like right here, okay? God's people have those moments quite often where they, they set aside their common sense and, and all rationality and they make selfish decisions that, that leave them with all this wreckage and chaos, all right? So that's what the people have done. They, and, and right now in verse 19, they're having this moment where their reason returns to them and they're saying, wait, 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 we gave up God for a man? 
that, that was dumb. What were we thinking? We, we gave up our God who has never you know, left us once. He's always taken care of every need. He's wi- wiped out all of our enemies and he's watched over us from day one. We let go of that for, some, for, for one of us. There's just kind of this moment where it clicks and they say, we deserve to die. Samuel, pray to your God for us. I like how they call him your God because they left him. Pray for your God, to your God. We, we need him. Man, we don't want to die like we deserve. So they, they, they realize that they've offended God in this huge way. And I, I want you to see how Samuel responds. He, he doesn't respond how some of us would by saying, well, you, you shouldn't have done that. You know, I, I tried to warn you. He responds with grace and love and compassion because he's going to show them where hope's at. They, they already see their sin, clearly. He's already kind of, you know, pointed it out to them. But now that they're seeing it and they're, they're repenting and they're feel, fearful of the Lord, he's going to direct them to a place where hope is found. So Sam, Samuel, uh, he's got some advice for people whose hearts have believed wrong things. And um, he's got some advice for people whose hearts have wandered away from God and sought different things. And I, I, I try to, for me anyways, pay really a close attention to this next part because my heart's like that. I, I don't know about you guys, but my heart, if, if I don't watch it close, it runs all over the place, all right? And it's always looking for some kind of satisfaction in the things of this world. And I got to stay on top of my game and I got to repent like daily and say, no, don't go over there, heart. You know, don't go over there. So I, I want you guys to pay close attention to this because it's all about repentance and a change of heart. And and Samuel gives us some great insight into things we all need to be aware of. So these next six verses are Samuel's instruction for the children of Israel. He's saying, uh, now that that you got your head on straight and your reasons return to you and you you see your foolishness, I'm gonna show you um, how to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start in verse 20 and we're just gonna walk through these one at a time. So verse 20 says, And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. So Samuel starts out by just saying, Okay, you've blown it. You messed up. All right? But there's nothing you can do about it now. All right? Saul's your king. He's anointed by God. He's going to be your king. And you're going to actually have a lot of consequences that come with that. But it's too late to do anything about that sin. So what I'm more concerned about for you guys is the future. So he says, what I want you to do is move your heart from this place of, man, this is what will satisfy and and we're seeking out this king. I want you to move it over here and I want you to walk in a way where you're being faithful to God. That's what he tells them. The first thing that's got to happen for you guys is you got to make sure your heart gets up and moves. Not like you're just feeling bad because you got caught in your sin or, oh, these consequences are terrible, but you got to literally get your heart up and you got to put it on the, on the right track, okay? And that is, is following God and serving him with your whole heart. He's calling them to a, a, a fresh start. Man, who doesn't love a fresh start, right? When, when everything's made new and you get a second chance, I can't think of how many times, you know, like when, when my dad, he doesn't, you know, bring the hammer down on me. You know, I was doing something dumb when I was a kid. And he's like, all right, I'm giving you another chance. I'm like, all right, right. You know, I'm not, I'm not in trouble. I'm not getting the belt yet. Man, that's exciting when you're getting another chance. And, and that's what he's telling him here. Hey, you can start all over right now. You messed up, but God's gracious. He's loving, he's patient. And there's, here's what you need to do. From now on, let's be different. Okay, so he's calling them to a fresh start. 
The very first thing he's saying is, I want you to move your heart over here and I want you to follow God faithfully. Verse 21, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit and deliver for they are empty. Nobody likes getting a bad deal, especially men. Men will like spend hours of research and, and checking everything out to make sure they don't get you know, a, a bad deal or taken advantage of. We don't want to be fooled. And, and what Samuel's telling the people here is sin or disobeying God is always a bad deal. Like it, it makes these big promises, but it never delivers. It's, it's always empty. Um, there's a game I, I like to play with my kids a lot at home. It's called, Is It Worth It? All right, and it's, it's a pretty simple game. And I, I just give them two options and then I let them make the decision. So it usually goes something like this. So uh, today is small groups and that means it's cleaning day at my house. So we're gonna go home and we're gonna clean and I'll say something like, all right, kids, you know, you need to clean your room. You need to clean your room. And then both of you need to clean the bathroom. All right, and then come back to us to see if you can help. All right, and they say, yes, we'd love to help you. No, that's not usually what happens. They say like, well, I'm watching TV or I wanna go ride my bike. And then I say, all right, it's time to play. Is it worth it? Behind door number one, we have the path that leads to blessing. If you choose this path, you clean your room, you know, clean the bathroom. And then afterwards, you can go right back to watching your movie or we can go outside and play and things will go well for you. But over here, we have door number two. And behind this door is the door that leads to consequences. You will still clean your room. You will still clean the bathroom. And then there's more you get to spend a lot of time in your now clean room until I tell you to come out, all right? This is the door that you're walking towards, all right? Your foot's halfway through it. Is it worth it, all right? And then they usually make the right decision, right? They, they're not happy about it, but they're like, all right, you know. But I, I think we as adults need to play that game with ourselves, right? When, when Sim comes knocking at my door and it says, hey, this is what I got for you and it's trying to offer me these big things, I need to ask where it's leading, I need to say, all right, where, where is it going to take me? And this verse tells us that all it's got for us is emptiness. Don't fall for sin's tricks. It's never worth it. Did you know that like out of everybody to ever exist, trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of sins have been committed, but not one of them's ever been worth it. So like, yours isn't going to be any different. Like I'm just telling you, it's not going to work out any better for you than it ever has. It always leads to emptiness. Jeremiah 2.5 is a, a really similar verse where the same thing has happened. God's people have left him for things and listen to what he says to him. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? They went after worthlessness and became worthless. And so if you, if you pair that with the verse that we already have, God's saying, if you go after empty things, you're gonna be empty. If you go after worthless things, you yourself will become worthless. Man, that ought to be a, a good deterrent. He's shown us where the door leads before he's playing that game with us. Is that worth it? Are you willing to make that trade? So what we see in this passage is God saying, he's still saying you gotta get your heart right and you gotta put away the worthless and empty things of the world. So at this point, some of the people of, of children of Israel and some of you guys might be thinking, all right, well, that's great. You told me what I lose. You told me everything I have to walk away from, but, but what do I get, all right? What am I walking towards? And that's always a good thing to ask. And Samuel, uh, he gets that people's minds might be there. So he says these beautiful words in verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. 
because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So what do you, what do you get? What do you get if, you, if your heart is moved and it's changed and you seek God faithfully, if you throw off the things of the world and you trust him, you get God. Like you get God himself in, in all of his goodness and all of his love. He's like on your side and for you. You, you get to belong to him forever and he'll never leave you and forsake you is what that verse says. He becomes your possession, your inheritance. That's what that verse is saying. You get God if you let go of all of those other things. Man, to, to, to belong to God and enjoy his goodness forever, that's, that's tremendous, that's beautiful. What does it mean to have one, someone say to you, like, I will never leave you. Like, I, I'm for you forever. We, we have something like that. It's called marriage, right? That's uh, Ladies on your wedding day, how exciting is it to hear those words from the man you love? I'll never leave you. I'm gonna stick with you forever. You're mine till we die. Doesn't your heart just like explode with joy in that moment? Men, that is one of the most exciting times for a woman when they hear those words said. They're like, oh yes, I got him. You know, he's mine. <laughs> but you know, what's, you know what's way more important? is when those words are lived out in the marriage, okay? There, there's, lots of, there's lots of guys who can stand up here and say, yeah, I love you and I'm not gonna leave you. But, but do they live it out in their marriage? What, what about when things get rocky, all right? And the marriage starts getting a little tough. Do you, do you still say to your wife, I love you and I'm never gonna leave you? What about when, when your marriage grows cold and your, your love starts to kind of get on edge and you're like, I don't know if I feel the same way. Would you still be willing to say, I love you and I'll never leave you? And I realize this is a hard illustration, but I'm going to use it anyways. I want you to imagine, what if you cheated on your wife or your husband? You yourself, you commit adultery on your spouse and you cause the biggest act of betrayal, right? I mean, there's real betrayal, real hurt, heartache, I mean, that, that, that promise of I will never leave you or forsake you, someone has basically torn that from the foundation of the marriage. What, what if you do that and then, then you have this moment of, of realization like the people of Israel do and you come back and say, I don't deserve your love anymore. I don't deserve, deserve to, to be your husband, to be loved by you or to be your wife and be loved by you. And then your spouse all right. Yes, they're brokenhearted. Their, their eyes are filled with tears, but, but they grab you and they look at you and they say, you're mine forever. I'm never going to leave you. How, how much more power do those words have when there's a great sin that's been committed? That's what we see in this passage. That's what happens to God. Like the people, they, they literally say, God, we don't want your love. We don't want your relation. We're going to seek it out in other things. We're going after other lovers. And they, they rebel and, and reject God in an adulterous way. And after, after they, they've done that, after they've had this, this adulterous heart that pursues wrong things, God says these words to him after the sin. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Man, who, who's like our God? Who, who loves like that? Man, who's, who's so quick to forgive and patient? There's nobody like him. Psalms 113, 
starting in verse four, says this. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises up the poor from the dust and lifts the needy up from the ash heap to make him set with princes, the princes of his people. Man, there's no one like our God. No one loves that well. He's in a category all of his own. He's, he's the matchless king of glory and he dumps out his love and mercy on, on undeserved sinners like us. Man, he's so glorious. And, and why is he so good to us? Like that, that's a crazy love that doesn't even make sense. I wrote down two reasons. Uh, verse 22 says it's for his great name's sake. G- God loves us so much because it shows us how glorious he is. When you see someone who, who, who loves the undeserving, does it not make you just stand back and say, wow, man, that guy's different than everybody else. Like if you see a king who's taking peasants off the street and he's letting them sit in his palace and eat food with them, you're gonna stop and stare and you should. If Bill Gates starts to take in homeless men into his house and change their last name to Gates and, give, and share his wealth with them, we would say, Bill Gates is awesome. I wanna be homeless. Okay, we probably wouldn't say that, but we would get excited and ramped up seeing someone pour out generosity on someone who doesn't deserve it. Man, it adds to and showcases God's glory when he's good to us when we don't deserve it. The second reason I think he does it is found in Romans 2.4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Man, so, so God being slow to anger and, and patient and kind with us is to draw us to himself. He's saying, man, come, come to me. Come enjoy who I am. I, I'm waiting for you. And right here, I've got good things stored up for you. Just come to me. So we, hear, we see here that he, he's, still, he's still saying, man, there has to be a change of heart. You got to move from over here. And when you do, you come and you get to enjoy the fullness and the riches of God forever. That's what he's saying in that verse. Verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and right way. I love what Samuel does uh, right here in this passage because what he's doing is he's not withholding good things from people who don't deserve it. He's showing them the same heart that God has towards us. And we know what we'd all do, you know, if someone messed up and we told them 10 times, don't do it. That's a bad decision. That's a bad decision. And then they come crawling back. You know, we'd just, we'd want the satisfaction of saying, told you so. You know, I, well, you know, you, you're just going to have to deal with that now. You should have thought about that. Maybe next time you'll listen to me. He doesn't say any of those. He, he throws all that aside. And instead he says, you want me to pray for you? He says, I will continue to pray for you, which implies he has been praying for them. I've been praying for you already and I'll gladly pray for you some more. And he goes above and beyond that and says, and I'll walk through life with you. I'll help you out. You don't have to do it alone. Heart change is hard. Heart change is incredibly hard to move from this place of selfishness and our own wicked desires and and to move to a place of, of following and trusting God. Like that's not easy. And he says, I will walk with you. I'll help you do that really hard thing. So what we see here is Samuel's inviting them to Christ-centered relationships. I worded it like that for Pastor Jason, even though he's not here. But that's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, 
Get, get hooked up with me. Get plugged into this deal. And we'll walk through life together to the glory of God. And we'll enjoy him forever together. That's what he's saying to these people. Did you know there's people in here who will do that with you? Like if you, if you really, if you have something you're struggling with and you're just, you, you have this pattern of going after it and, and turning to it, whether it be like a lust or a bitterness or an anger, any sinful desire, there are people in this room who will walk through life with you and help you to, to have that heart change. They'll, they'll point you to the cross. They'll point you to Jesus and they'll say, man, you got to let that thing go. And, and they'll walk with you. Op- open your bulletin and look in it, man. Look at all those beautiful faces. Go to one of those small groups and tell them. I need people to, to do life with me. Go to McDonald's in between the hours of, of six and eight, any day of the week, and there are guys from our church sitting there with their Bibles open. Sit down with one of them, share your heart with them. That there are people who, who will help you with this hard thing. You just got to ask for help. Verse 24 and 25. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So Samuel ends his, his talk by, uh, by reminding us, okay, there has to be heart change. This is what he's told us the whole time. There has to be uh, your heart moving from one place to the other. You have to want to serve God faithfully. You got to put your trust in him and go after him to have all of this happen. If you don't, if there's no repentance, if there's continually um, seeking wicked things, worthless things, and empty things, you're going to be swept away with them. You know what happens to worthless and empty things? We trash them. And if, if you yourself give your life over to that, you're, you're going to be done away with, is what he tells them. I know those are hard words, but um, he, he's called and he's invited these people to see the all-surpassing worth of who God is. And he kind of plays that game with them. Is it worth it? What's he going to do? So uh, what, I, what I want us to do tonight is, uh, or today is I'm going to pray for us and dismiss us. But, but I want you guys to ask yourselves, is there some area in my heart where I need to move on? Okay, is, is there a place I need a fresh start? You know, is, is there some worthless or empty thing that I need to be done with? Do, do I need to, to, to start seeing God's goodness and how he's going to love, love me and give himself to me forever. And do I need to go after that? Or, or maybe it's, I, I need to ask for help. I've been trying to do this thing on my own for far too long and I need Christ-centered relationships. Whatever it is, just, just pray right now as I pray and, and ask yourself what God's calling you to do. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for, for your incredible goodness to us. You have love like nobody else loves. You, you have been patient, gracious, loving, and kind with us. And we thank you that when we rebel and, and do such wicked things, that, that you're so kind to us. And you, you say, I want you to be my people forever. And I, I just pray that you would be pointing out things in our hearts, point things out in my heart, God, that I need to move on. I'm not perfect, and I have those same s- sinful desires in me. And you've you got to show us where you want us to change, God, and help us to be obedient to do so.